Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. Over all the stuff that we're going through, over all the stuff we've been through, I want you to thank the Lord tonight. I want you to praise the Lord tonight that you are still here. I want you to think about everything that you've been through, not just year. this year. We have gone through the craziest year of human history, and you're still here tonight able to praise God. Come on, who am I preaching to? You're still able here tonight to shout and to praise and to worship. I want you to think about all the times the enemy tried to stop you from serving God, all the times the enemy tried to kill you, all the times the enemy tried to shut down your praise all the times he's tried to stop you from hearing the message all the pitfalls and all the snares and all the things that you escaped and avoided all the times a regular person come on I felt the Holy Ghost would have given up if they went through what you've been through but I want you to thank God that although you might not be where you want to be you're here tonight how many people have you seen that would have went back to the world if they went through what you went through how many people said your fire would die how many people counted you out for the call of God how many people were against you yet here you are tonight in June of 2020 come on somebody and you're able to stand here and say if it had not been for his mercy and if it had not been for his grace I would not be here tonight I don't know about you but I am grateful for the mercy of God I am grateful for the anointing of the Holy Spirit I would not be here if it wasn't for his power if it wasn't for his anointing come on don't act like that you're all holy and righteous and you don't hear me preach tonight I want you to realize that it was only by the mercy and the hand of God and I came to tell somebody in the midst of everything going on that if God be for us who can be against us I'm not stressed out about what's going on God is on our side and the God that we serve has never lost a battle I think about all that I've been through and every battle I've overcome and I'm glad tonight that I have freedom to worship I am glad tonight I have freedom to praise it was only by his power I am where I am don't sit here and try to act like you got yourself where you are it was only by the power of God that you got your mind restored it was only by the power of God that your body was healed it was only by it was not you trying harder it was by grace and it was by his power and I think a lot of us have gotten to a place in our walks where we have forgotten what God's power has done in our marriages we have forgotten the power of God that brought us out of addiction. We have forgotten the power of God that brought us out of depression. We have forgotten the power of God that brought us out of our anxiety. It was only by his power. Religion did not deliver you. Come on, somebody. Religion did not save you. Religion did not open up your blind eyes. It wasn't just showing up once a week. It was an encounter with almighty God. It was the anointing of almighty God. And I know some of you tonight, listen to me loud and clear you might not be exactly happy with where you are at in your life when you got saved when you got delivered you looked for the next 10 5 to 10 years of your life and you said I'm going to be this in five years I'm going to be that in five years I'm going to be married in five years or in 10 years I'm going to have a family I'm going to have this massive ministry I'm going to have a new car a new house and you measured up all the things that you are going to have and now when you look at your life you feel disappointed because you're not where you think 
thought you'd be. You're not where you want to be. But I want you to think back at how lost you were and thank God you might not be where you want to be, but at least you're not where you used to be. Come on. I want you to think back to when you were depressed, when you had anxiety, and now maybe you don't have everything you thought you'd have. Maybe God's ways, and I'm going to explain this tonight, are not your ways, but I want you just to thank the Lord on how far he's brought you. Oh, because the reality is that some of you might feel like you've gone backwards, but the Lord says, I have brought you forward even if you don't feel it. I'm bringing you somewhere. I'm taking, I feel the anointing of prophecy. I'm taking you into new territories. I'm opening up doors that no man can shut. I'm shutting doors that no man can open. Veronica says, I was discouraged today. Veronica, I want to tell you that there is courage coming that tonight the Lord is going to break off your discouragement by the power, the grace, and the mercy of God. I rebuke right now. I'm pausing to rebuke all depression. I'm pausing to rebuke all anxiety. I'm pausing to rebuke all fear. I came to tell somebody that you've been controlled by anxiety for too long, but the Lord says, I'm getting ready to pour out a double portion. I'm getting ready to pour out new wine and new anointing. I know some of you are not satisfied or happy, but thank God when you compare your old life to your new life. This is the major issue that we have in the body of Christ is that we think that God could not use us because of our past. But you have to understand it was the hand of God that brought you out of what you came out of. It was not a program or a church. What other expl oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. What other explanation do you have that you're not an addict right now? What other explanation do you have that you're not depressed right now? What other explanation do you have that you're not strung out? That you're not in the hospital? That you're no longer on the streets? That you're not bound anymore? Listen, if you're all religious and the Lord hasn't done anything and you're not grateful, then you can just stay quiet. But if you say, Isaiah, I hear you tonight. If it wasn't for God, the only explanation I have on why I'm in my right mind, I haven't taken my own life and I'm not full of anxiety and depression like I used to be, is the presence and the power of God. Jesus says, humanly speaking, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Humanly speaking, come on, it's impossible. I came to preach tonight, y'all. It's impossible to get healed of cancer, humanly speaking. Humanly speaking, it's impossible to stop drinking every single, when you've been drinking every single day. Humanly speaking, it's impossible for a deaf ear to open. And I have an aunt right now that's in the chat that had a deaf ear that got opened by the power of God. Humanly speaking, it's impossible to fix your marriage. Humanly speaking, it was impossible for you to get that promotion. Humanly speaking, that demon would never leave you. Oh, but with God, here's the difference. But with God, all things are possible. And God is with you right now in the storm. You will make it to the other side. God is in your boat. He's fighting for you. He's with you. And he's doing things on your behalf. Even when, come on, I love that Waymaker song. When it says, even when I don't feel it, you are working. How many have been through a season where you don't feel God working? How many of you have been through a season where you don't see God working? Where you feel as if God has left you and abandoned you and you're watching everybody else get a breakthrough? You're watching everybody else get deliverance? You're watching everybody else get married and get promotion and get freedom, but you're still there feeling as if God is not working or God is not moving. But I want to tell you, sometimes you need to zoom out and realize God is working. If you've ever been on the set of a movie or watched behind the scenes, 
and you see this little scene taking place and you see two characters but what you don't realize is that if you zoom out there's hundreds of workers that are working behind the scenes to make the movie take place there's men holding microphones and holding cameras and holding props and running around making this happen and making that happen and just because you don't see them it doesn't mean they're not working to make the movie take place and there is a movie called your life that is happening and you might see one small thing in your life you might be focused on the depression you might be focused on the anxiety portion of your movie but the Lord is saying we're getting ready to go to chapter 2 somebody needs to turn the page somebody needs to change the new uh, to a new script because all behind the scenes angels are working on your behalf all behind the scenes God is working and God is moving I came to tell somebody and prophesy over you that the Lord has not abandoned you come on right now share this stream please right now everybody hit share the Lord has not left you dry somebody needs hope tonight the Lord has not left you by yourself God I'm thankful that you're working while I'm sleeping oh somebody hear me he's working even while you sleep he's fighting even while you're resting even in the Sabbath while you rest the Lord begins to fight I see what's going on with your body but the Lord is saying to you tonight in the spirit chill I got this the Lord is saying chill I got it under control I see what's going on in your marriage relax I got it under control I see the pain and the hurt and the stress relax I got it under control we as the church have taken the value away from the power of God. We have taken the value away from the cross. We have taken the value out of the blood of Jesus. We have taken the value out of the price that was paid. But I really, really, really believe tonight that the blood still has power. I still believe that the cross is enough to heal and deliver. God bankrupt heaven. Oh, somebody listen to me closely tonight. God bankrupt heaven to bail you out of your sin. He wrote a check and the amount was everything. He gave his only begotten son. And I'm wondering as the body of Christ that if Jesus died in public, why are we trying so hard to live for him in private? Why are you spending so much energy making sure that your old friends don't know that you're on fire? Why are you spending so much energy trying to make sure that nobody at work knows that you're saved? The Lord did not save you for you to be a secret agent closet Christian but the Lord saved you to be a public believer a believer that is not ashamed of the gospel we as the body of Christ need to go public with our faith it is time for the church to come out of the closet and stop hiding and saying it's time to go public I don't care if it offends you I don't care if you don't like it we need to go public we need the people on the streets to know that he is our healer he is our deliverer. He is our savior. And I want to prophesy this, that there is no other hope for America. There is no other power that will deliver us from the state that we're in as a nation. As the old song says, Jesus is the answer for the world today. And God is saying to you tonight, I want to use you right now. I don't want to wait to use you. We spend years waiting till everything lines up. We all know that 
couple that's in their 40s because they spent from 20 years old to 40 years old waiting to have kids until everything was perfect and now they find themselves they're 48 years old and they never had children because they'll tell you I was waiting until everything lined up in my life to begin to have kids but how many people know come on do I got any Hispanics up in the house now how many people know you're never going to be ready to have kids and that's what some of you are doing with God you're waiting when everything lines up I'll start preaching the gospel when everything lines up I'll get married when everything lines up I'll start doing deliverance when everything lines up I'm ready to serve God but I want to tell you and explain this to you that you will never be ready for what God has for you I know there's some of you I could see right now because I'm reading every single comment that you've been years in the church and you've done nothing for God and I'm not trying to bash you I'm not trying to smack you over the head with the Bible but if you were honest in the chat right now you would say Isaiah it's because I've waited for too long you will never be ready for what God has for you that is the point of the gospel the point is that you have to rely on him to provide people always ask me as I'm about to get up and preach in a church are you ready to preach I have pastors all the time saying are you ready they'll text me when I'm at my hotel are you ready to preach tonight are you prepared to preach tonight and the answer is no I'm never ready to be used of God I'm too weak I'm not gifted enough I'm too imperfect I'm full of insecurities and frailties now I know my wife's in the chat okay she's gonna laugh right here and I know she thinks I'm good at everything I know she thinks I'm perfect and I could just do everything I know my three daughters think I'm the you know the best at everything in the world but the reality is I am imperfect and I am frail and that is the beauty of the gospel is that when you are broken weak and living your life in the waiting saying God can't use me and God can't anoint me that's when God shows up when I take the stage when I get on the podcast I'm tired I'm weary I don't feel ready to preach I don't feel ready to explain expound or provoke or to convict but then all of a sudden when I turn on these cameras and I hit that live stream button and I need the Holy Ghost to show up the Holy Ghost shows up and I came to tell somebody that if God can use me then God can use you too one of the major misconceptions I need you to hear me tonight do not click off of this share the stream please one of the major misconceptions conceptions is that God uses perfect people but understand God is not looking for you to be perfect he's looking for you to be available so many people think their past disqualifies them from the future that God has planned and so we continue to live our lives this is good bringing up the past and and bringing something up that God has already forgiven us of the Bible says now a lot of you are new I know you recently got saved and I know you've messaged me saying you're a new believer so I have to I have to show you this the Bible says that when we repent that God throws our sin into the sea of forgetfulness if you catch this tonight this will change your entire life and God remembers our sin no more and one problem that we have as the body of Christ I'm so guilty of this is that we keep reminding God of sins that he's already forgotten about and God has got oh I hear the Lord saying that I've gotten over it and it's time for you to get over it it's time for you to give over that old addiction that you keep dwelling on it's time for you to get over that old mistake that you made when you were 20 years old. It's time for you to get over that heartache and that breakup that you've been clinging to. It's time for you to get over the offense that you had at the last church you were at because you keep poisoning the future that God has for you by reminding him, I hope somebody's taking notes, by reminding him of what he's already forgotten about. If God has forgotten about the way that I used to talk, so should I. If God has forgotten about 
about the felony on my record, so should I. If God has forgotten about my old lust addiction, so should I. If God has forgotten about how I used to hurt people, abuse people, and had hatred, so should I. You know, one thing that amazes me when you read your Bible a lot of people in the church right now, here's the reality, are not reading the Bible. The reason why we live under the shame and the condemnation, and I'm just giving you some encouragement before I really get into the meat of the message tonight, because I'm going to drop some conviction tonight, but I want to tell you right now, there is one thing that amazes me about the Bible, and it is the transparency of Scripture. The Bible does not even a little bit try to hide the flaws of those that we consider to be heroes of the faith. In fact, it's not, you can read from cover to cover, and with the exception of Jesus is the Bible is going to put on display all the shortcomings of those people that we put on a pedestal, even the shortcomings. And that's that shortcomings is an understatement because the Bible does not just put up the shortcomings of the people. It actually shows the scandals of the people in the Bible. It shows their rebellion. It shows their lack of faith. It shows the fault faultiness of humanity, which shows us that scripture, oh, come on, Holy Ghost, that scripture is not a list of man's triumphs, but scripture is a, a story of how God is long suffering with the shortcomings of humanity. The Bible does not hide Abraham's deceit or Sarah's unbelief. The Bible does not hide Jacob's trickery. It doesn't hide Noah's drunkenness. It doesn't hide the murder of Moses. It doesn't hide Aaron's idolatry. The Bible does not hide Samson's fornication or David's adultery or Solomon's polygamy. It does not hide Jonah's rebellion or Peter's bigotry or Paul's huge ego. And the reason, friend, listen to me tonight, the reason that the Bible does not hide these things, the reason that the Bible is so transparent is that God wants you tonight to understand that the gospel is for imperfect people. In fact, the reason the Bible is so transparent is for two reasons. One is God shows us that the flaws of man is to show us that salvation is attainable. If they could attain salvation, then we could attain salvation. These people, when I read about their failures, it gives me a little bit of hope to know that if, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost, that if God could be long-suffering to the people in the Bible that I read about that have repeat offenses, it gives me hope to know that God can be merciful to somebody, come on somebody, that is messed up like me. If you want to know how we're making God sick, just stick around. I'm getting there. How many of us in the chat understand that we are all representative in scripture of somebody in scripture? When you read about somebody, you can see your life in them. The truth is some of us still have a little David in our past. We still have a little Rahab in our past. We have a little bit of Mary Magdalene still left in us. We still have a little bit of Jonah in our past and being spiritual because some of us, don't be all spiritual over spiritual tonight, okay? Some of us still don't just have a little bit of them in our past. We still have a little bit of them in our present. Some of us still have the fearfulness of Gideon. Some of us still have the impulsiveness of Peter. Some of us still have the doubting of Thomas. So you need to understand that scripture shows us the, the, the shortcomings and the failings and the character imbalances to let us know that God's grace is sufficient and there is no way I could save myself. And the second reason is, is to let us know that our deliverance comes with a responsibility. Not 
I need you I need you guys to get this tonight okay just because the, the Jesus in the Bible did not send angels to preach the gospel to fallen mankind and the reason why God I oftentimes get to preach I say guys I wish God can just show up and preach and be you know a blue flame or whatever it is you think God looks like I wish an angel can just show up and preach the gospel so I wouldn't have to but the reality is and I'm gonna tell you why God God does not use angels to preach the gospel because angels have not experienced what we have experienced angels have had not have not had the fallen nature and so angels can't appreciate the power of forgiveness and rejoice over the gift of redemption in other words angels can't preach the sermons we preach because they have not lived the life that you have lived the gospel is powerful because it's from one broken man to another broken man and it shows me that my past does not disqualify me in fact I came to tell somebody your past is not what disqualifies you your past is what gives you credibility to preach the gospel in the first place I want to somebody to understand this that having an imperfect past does not disqualify you don't be ashamed of your testimony don't be ashamed of what God brought you out of I have so many messages of people saying I'm ashamed of my past and what God brought you out of but understand your past gives you the credibility to preach to people that are going through what you've been through your deliverance comes with a responsibility let me explain it better for you a couple weeks ago I was reading an article due to all the coronavirus virus all the covid i'm a nerd okay i read a lot of articles i watch a lot of news i read i listen to a lot of blogs and pod, podcasts i want to stay up to date on different things and i just love to learn and a couple weeks ago I was reading an article about how antibodies work in the body and it's very interesting because if you have a disease and you overcome the disease your body will actually create now I know there's doctors here I could see you in the chat I know there's nurses and you're gonna say wow brother you're not explaining that good I'm gonna give layman's terms for this okay I'm not gonna get all the the crazy medical terms let me give it to you in simple ways to understand this when you have a disease your body creates antibodies so that the next time it comes you're able to fight it off and so understand that what you've gone through has created spiritual antibodies because I've been through depression I'm able to go through it. every time it tries to attack me I'm able to overcome it because I overcame it before because I've been through lust every time it tries to attack me I'm able to overcome it because of my spiritual antibodies every time anxiety attacks try to attack me because I have spiritual antibodies and I've been through it before and I know how to fight it off I'm able to overcome it and I believe spiritual antibodies are being released in the body of Christ to fight off the attack of the enemy some of you keep losing to the same things over and over that God has given you victory over before and I came to tell somebody up in this place tonight that if God can deliver you once God can deliver you again I came to tell somebody if God could break the back of depression once God can break the back of depression again I came to tell somebody that if God can restore your marriage five years ago he could restore your marriage right now I came to tell somebody if God can open up that financial door that one time three years ago you still talk about it God says I could open up that door again because there are antibodies that have been built up now there's not just that thing called active immunity which is what it's called and now you know they're trying to see if people had COVID and so they test them and they say oh if you have antibodies of the virus we know you've already had the virus and now you're able to fight it off understand that it's not just the antibodies that once you get sick help you fight off the sickness the next 
next time, but there's something called passive immunity, and that is when you give someone else your antibodies because you have already overcome what they, oh, I feel like preaching, what they have not overcome. If you've never had the disease in your blood, then you can't help anybody else if your blood has never been contaminated. You're not a benefit to the sick, but understand when you've come out of the virus and when you've recovered from the disease, oh, somebody needs to be taking notes. It is the disease that qualifies you to be a blessing to somebody else. And how many of us know that we in the church are spiritual antibodies? We've been infected by the disease called sin, but because of the blood of Jesus, we've been able to come out as survivors. We've been over to over, we've been able to overcome, and God has not called us to live with freedom, but we're called to help everybody else around us get deliverance. We're called to have everybody else around us overcome. There is power in your testimony. That is why I'm trying to tell you don't be ashamed of the hell that God brought you out of. Don't be ashamed of your past and the brokenness. See, oftentimes we pray, but when God answers our prayers, we don't even realize that God has already answered the prayers that we've been praying because oftentimes God answers the prayer and the way that we don't see fit. So we miss the answer. The irony of the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the religious, come on, are y'all hearing me tonight? And the religious people in scripture is that the foundation of all of their prayers from the establishment of David's throne until the time of Paul, every prayer that they ever prayed was for the coming of the Messiah. Jesus, who they'd been praying for for years, was among them for 30 years in secret, unrecognized, and for three and a half years, he did incredible exploits out in the open, and they still not recognize that the answer to their prayer was walking among them. They did not recognize that the promise has already been fulfilled. That is the frustration even right now in Judaism is that they're still praying for Jesus to come when Jesus has already come. They're still praying for something to happen when it's already happened and they're frustrated because God hasn't done it in their mind and God's frustrated because they haven't acknowledged the answer to their prayers. And I want to tell somebody that you've been praying and God has been answering even though you have not experienced it. This is the same tension that exists even right now in the body of Christ because there are times and I feel like preaching, I'm preaching myself, where we want God to move in a specific way and we get we get mad or angry when God doesn't move in our specific way, but he moves in his ordained way. And I've learned that the hard way, and I pray over and over that you don't get blinded by the specifics of your prayers. See, when I pray, I say, Lord, I don't want to be blinded by the specifics. I want you to do what you need to do in me. Let me give you an example. Some of us have have been praying and saying, God, I need you to give me more time. Come on, I've been praying this for the last year. I need you, Lord, to give me more time with my family. I need you to help have me help me have more family time with my kids. And then when this quarantine came, y'all are complaining and not realizing that God used what the enemy meant for bad was actually an answer to the prayer that you prayed. Because right now you've had more time with your family like I have than you've ever had in your life. And God 
use what the enemy meant for bad to actually answer your prayers. Uh, some of you have been asking God to help you get stable financially, but then six months ago when you didn't get the home loan, you were upset, uh, but you didn't realize that COVID was going to break out um, and you were going to lose your job and you didn't realize that God keeping the answer from your prayer from you was not God saying no to your prayer, but God saying yes to your prayer. See, there are times that we pray, God, give us patience like Christ had, give us Christ likeness, but then we're mad when circumstances come that make us grow our faith and be more like Christ. Times we pray, Lord, give me a godly spouse or a godly partner, but then we get mad when they call you to higher levels of prayer. You get mad when your spouse turns off that television show you've been trying to watch. You get mad when they're walking in the spirit and living holy. And some of you men, oh, I'm going to have to shift my camera right here. Some of you men, you prayed for a godly woman, and now that God gave you one, you complain, I don't want to have to go to the prayer meeting. I don't want to have to do this or read my Bible or watch this, and your wife's turning off the TV because you keep watching that dirty movie, and you're angry and mad, but is it not you that prayed that God would give you a godly husband? Ladies, let me give you permission. Now, I know the husbands are going to hate this. I know I'm going to lose a bunch of viewers here, but ladies, don't ever be afraid to bring conviction into your husband's life. Don't ever be afraid to say, huh? honey, I don't think we should watch this. Or, or honey, I don't think we should do this. Or, or honey, I don't think we should go through. I hear the sound of the Lord saying it's time for the men to rise up in the body of Christ that are going to rightfully lead their families into the fire and the anointing of Almighty God. It is time for men to get bold and to begin to fight and realize that God is answering our prayers. And some of you, the Lord is saying, stop being so specific that you miss out on my massive plan that I have for you. Stop being so specific in your prayers and say, God, I'm telling you, if you want to do it, you can do it however I want you to do it. See, lukewarm people understand. Lukewarm people pray, but when they pray, they tell God how he should answer their prayer. And tonight, I want to talk to you about the only thing in scripture that actually makes God sick. I want to talk to you about the only thing that actually makes God vomit. There is only one person. Now, this is so significant. If you read the Bible, and the Bible says this makes me sick and this is God talking or the Bible says this makes me vomit and this is God talking we should not skip over it. We should not not preach about it. I'm guilty of not preaching about this enough. I don't think I've preached about this in probably six or seven years. And this is a massive issue in the body of Christ right now that there are so many believers and so many types of people that make God sick. And let me explain to you, the type of person I'm talking about is not found in crack houses. The type of person I'm talking about is not found in the bar on Friday night. The type of person I'm talking about is not found in the strip club or on the street corner. The type of person that that makes God want to vomit is the one that's filling our pews on Sunday morning churches. It's the person that attends church regularly and does what all the good Christians do. It's the type of person that gives money to the church and charity as long as it doesn't infringe on their life, how they live, or cause them to sacrifice. It's the type of person that always chooses what is popular over what is biblical because they don't like conflict and they desire to fit into the church 
into the world that they're supposed to be an enemy of or separated from. This type of person wants to be saved from their sin, but not, but only not, not the sin, but only the penalty of their sin. And they don't genuinely hate sin. They're just sorry. And they just want to know that if I die, I'm not going to go to hell. This type of person is moved by stories of people. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost that do things for God, but they resist to do the things for God because they don't want to be labeled as radical Christians. This type of person rarely shares their faith because they don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. This type of person loves Jesus and admits that he's a part of their life, but he's just a part. He's not allowed to control their life. This type of people only think about life here on earth now and never think about eternity in heaven. This type of person does whatever it takes to keep themselves feeling too, too guilty. They ask questions like, well, how far can I go before I sin? How much do I have to give up to be a believer? How much should I tie? Do I have to give money to be saved? And what is this? Is this considered sin? And what if I do it this way? And what if the music's not that bad? And what if the show is not that bad? Seem lu lukewarm people feel secure because they attend church. And just as the Old Testament prophets warned Israel that they were not safe, hear me loud and clear tonight. This could be one of the most important messages I've ever preached, that they were not safe because they lived in the land of Israel, that we're not safe because we're Christians and we go to church on Sunday or we live in a Christian nation. And if these, any of these sound like you, then you're probably lukewarm. And this was what Jesus came in Revelation 2 and John is a prophet for God writing letters do actual churches. Churches in these times are physical letters, not just letters to physical churches, but a prophetic letter to the church of today. And out of the seven churches, the church we live in right now in June of 2020 in America is the last letter, and that is the church of Laodicea. It is so incredibly hard to be a biblical Christian in America because there are so many distractions and temptations that are taking us away from the presence of God. I think about this so many times though, and God, it's so hard to be a believer in America, not because we're persecuted. Now hear me loud and clear tonight, but because we're not persecuted. It is so hard to be a believer in America because there are so many things distracting us. There are so many trinkets and gadgets and gizmos that are stealing away our time that's supposed to be in prayer, stealing away our time that's supposed to be in the word. And it's easier. Many people will tell you to live in Africa or in India or in China and be a believer. I was at a martyrs conference one time, the voice of the martyrs. And I was like, I don't even feel saved because I'm talking, I'm listening to all these people talk about how they're beat and how they've done this and they've been skinned and they have bones that are broken. And one of the guys got up that was in, in was in a uh, prison cell in Iraq for years. He had a, he was in a prison for like, I think a year he was beat this and that. He got released in Iraq from prison and he's testifying with tears in his eyes. And he says, when I got released from that prison cell, I, I went back to comfortable church, comfortable uh, building, comfortable chair. And I told my wife, if you only knew how much I miss that prison cell. And she said, how could you miss it? He said, because now that I have all the distractions of life, it is so hard for me to have that closeness with God. It is so hard for me to have that connection with God. And I want to tell you right now that it's hard to be a believer in America. You have to be intentional about your worship. You have to be intentional about reading your Bible. When I go to read my Bible, there is 
a thousand other things yelling at me. There is a thousand other voices calling out to me. There's hundreds of messages I'm still trying to get back to and I have to make a decision. And am I going to read all of your messages on Facebook or am I going to read his message to me? Am I going to open up my Bible? Am I going to get in the place of prayer? I hear the Lord saying it is time to say no to every other voice that has tried to silence you. It is time to say no to every other voice that has called you and distracted you and pulled you out of your prayer closet. See, the enemy will use anything to try to pull you out of your prayer closet. He knows that it is in the place of prayer that you get shaped and you get formed. And believe me, you have to understand your prayer closet is not just a location. It's an open door in the spirit. You can have a prayer closet in your car. You can have a prayer closet on your couch. You can have a prayer closet in your kitchen. And the devil will send in demonic powers to try to draw you out of the place of prayer. How many of you know that when you get into prayer, all of a sudden, everything you forgot you had to do? Listen, if you forgot what you had to do today, if you forgot what your responsibilities were, if you're going through your day and you, you're like me, I take notes on everything, but say you just forgot, I forgot what I had to get done today. All you got to do is get into prayer and every little distraction is going to start talking to you. All of a sudden, you got to remember, oh, I got to pay this, and oh, I got to go here, and oh, I got to call this person, and oh, I got to get this paperwork done. I got to get this email saying, I got to get this video set up. I got to get this layover made. I got to get this video upload. I got to message that person back. I got to take my kids out to do this. So this has to get paid. Got to get the cap and gown. Got to take them to sports. Got to take them. There's all these distractions, and yet the Lord is calling us saying, I'm longing for you to get developed in the place of prayer. True believers are not developed on stages or in crowds. They are developed in prayer closets. And that's why I don't understand. Listen, if you've lost your faith because you've not been able to go to church for three months, I would question if you were even a believer in the first place. True believers are not developed inside of a building. They are developed in the place of prayer. The secret place is God's workshop where he's able to do divine surgery on you so that when you leave the place of prayer, you're a different person coming out than you were walking. In Jesus is talking to his church. I've had this thought a thousand times. What would Jesus say if he wrote a letter to the church right now? If he was to speak directly to the American church, this was not a letter from a preacher or a pastor or an ordinary person. These seven letters in Revelation are letters from God himself. And after evaluating the church, after being in all the meetings, after seeing what was going on, the letter says, this is what I see. And these are the areas that need to change. And there is a penalty or judgment if you don't change these things. He starts out by saying this letter is from the amen, the faithful and the true witness. Why did he call himself the amen? See, most people don't know that the amen is one of God's names, not just when you say oh, amen and pray, but it literally means that God has the last word. That what other people say about you, what other people think about you, what other excuses you might have as to why you haven't done anything, it doesn't matter because the Lord is saying I have the final word. Nothing can be added on to what I say. Nothing can change what I say. On judgment day, there will be no excuses. There will be no rebuttals or interruptions. We live so much of our life. Come on, chat, help me tonight. We live so much of our life trying to please other people, trying to make everybody else happy. And some of you right now, this is a prophetic word. You have spent your year trying to make everybody else happy. And while trying to make everybody else around you happy, you 
yourself have become become unhappy. You want to know a great way to get breakthrough saying, I don't give a flip about what anybody thinks about me. I don't have time to please everybody. I can't be a people pleaser and a God chaser at the same time. And I have chosen to be a God chaser. I have chosen to pursue the Lord no matter the cost. I'm tired of living my life trying to please all the people around me. At the end of the day, it's the Lord that has the final word. At the end of the day, it's the Lord that's going to judge you and have and slam the gavel down and have and be the last one to talk. And everyone's opinions about you, ideas about you, arguments about you, bad words about you, negativity about you, it does not matter. What matters is what is God saying? What does it matter to have this massive 401k but no treasures laid up in heaven? What is it to be a public success in the eyes of man but be a private failure in the eyes of God? And so before he even opens up the letter, he says, I'm giving you the final word. Don't try to argue with me tonight about this. Don't try to say, no, this doesn't pertain to me. I'm a pastor. I see a lot of pastors right now in the chat. Don't try to talk bad and use an excuse right now. None of these are going to be good enough because we all, the Bible says, I know a lot of you haven't heard it, but the Bible says, for we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and take account for what we did in the body on this earth. And so I'm going to have to answer for the life that I've lived. I'm going to have to give a response to God when he says, why were you so distracted by all the gizmos and the gadgets of the culture? And there are too many preachers telling to tell you to collect the things of this world. And God is saying, it's time to neglect the things of this world. Come on, somebody. It's time to not try to collect all the trinkets and gadgets. It's time to say, I'm going to neglect all the things the world is chasing after, and I'm going to pursue God. I cannot pursue God's dream and the American dream at the same time. I am unable to climb Jacob's ladder if I'm trying to climb the ladder of corporate America. We need prophetic voices to rise up in the body of Christ right now and say, it is time to be crucified with Christ. And to be crucified with Christ is to be crucified for the from the world there is a separation that has to take place for God to use you how he wants to use you he says I'm the amen and I am the faithful in other words God says I'm the one that pursues you remember how he chased Israel Israel kept leaving him kept rebelling against him but he was faithful in restoring them through all of their mess ups all their trials who am I preaching to tonight and all their disobedience God was still pursuing his people all the times he they should have been disqualified all the times that God should have given up on them all the times that you were unfit and you were unworthy the Lord was still longing for his bride to come back to him why do my people keep leaving me why do my people keep running from me Christianity is the only religion in the world where the God that we serve actually pursues us actually chases us actually sends us a sign tonight and if you're in the chat tonight and you don't know him and you've ran from him you might be a young person like I was and you're running from God I'm here to tell you that the Lord is Jehovah stalker he will continue to pursue you he will continue to call you he will continue to send signs to get your attention because our God is faithful he's not going to stop so you might as well stop running because the Lord will always outrun you when you don't feel like worshiping the Lord is still faithful. When you're tired of the Lord, he's not tired of you. When you don't put the effort into the relationship, he puts the effort in on his end. God never gives 50%. 
He never does anything half-hearted. He never gives up. He never walks out and he never shows up late like your friend or your family. He doesn't stand you up like that guy or like that girl. I'm so glad to say tonight the God that we serve is consistent. The God that we serve is never changing. The God that we serve is never moving or never shaking. God has not spent one day off of his throne since the beginning of time. The Lord has not had one bad attitude since the beginning of time. He is steady throughout the ages. And the Lord is saying, if I've done it for one generation, I'm getting ready to do it for the next generation. We don't understand the faithfulness of God because in America, we have zero concept of what faithfulness means. In America, if you're tired of a relationship, you can just go ahead and get a divorce for no reason. You can just quit. We have created a generation of quitters that say the job is too hard. The marriage is too hard. My relationship with God is too hard. And so we have a bunch of crybaby quitters in the church that the moment things get rough, the moment trials get tough, the moment somebody says something or does something that I don't like, I just give up. And Christian leaders right now are divorcing for no reason. Recently, a, ma- a major Christian worship leader, um, everyone had su- assumed him and his wife were divorcing because they didn't see him together. They deleted all the pictures off their Instagram. And my wife got done telling me, she said, you know, they divorced for no reason. The reason was, and of course I would never say their name, but she said the reason was that they just fell out of love. And so now we have created a generation that says, if you fall out of love with your wife, or if you fall out of love with your husband, you can just go ahead and go to the courthouse and just go ahead and file for divorce because we've lost faithfulness and marriage doesn't mean anything because we have no concept of faithfulness. And these days now, if you don't like your church, no problem. You can just walk out with no notice, no regard, and just go find a new church. If you don't feel like praying one day, you don't have to worry. The next day you do, the next day you don't. There is no consistency. I want you to relate faithfulness and consistency as synonymous words because you got to understand faithfulness sometimes feels mundane, but it is the mundane. Come on, somebody needs to write this down and tweet this. It is the mundane things in the kingdom that produce the divine. It is the mundane things in the kingdom that produce the miraculous. You have to do mundane things that they feel mundane, but then all of a sudden God shows up. He says, I want you to walk around the wall. Well, why are we going to walk around the wall? It's mundane. We've been walking for six days. And what's the point? We're walking, we're marching, we're not doing anything productive. And the Lord says, because it's in the mundane of the marching that I'm able to bring the walls down. I came to tell somebody that your relationship with God might feel dry and it might feel mundane, but the Lord is saying just keep praying and just keep marching and just keep showing up and just keep believing. You say, I don't even know why I go to that church anymore. They don't even recognize me. And the Lord says, the pastor might not recognize you, but I recognize you, says the Lord. And what we call mundane, God calls faithfulness. What we call routine, God calls faithfulness. That's why when the devil came asking us if Peter, Jesus said, Peter, I'm praying for you. Jesus, what were you praying for about Peter that he, that he was able to last? He said, I'm praying. And Peter, I want you to get this. The devil's coming to sift you. And I want you to know, Peter, I'm praying something specific over your life. I'm praying that your faith would not fail because if you live a faithful life, the enemy will have no power over you. Peter, something is going to happen once you fall and once you get back up 
up, you're going to get back up stronger, Peter, than you were when you fell. There's going to be a new faith that rises up in you, Peter, when you get back up. There's going to be a new endurance that rises up in you, Peter, when you get back up. There's going to be a new fire and a new shout and a new praise when you get back up. And how faithful God was in restoring Peter, even though Peter kept denying him. After all the disobedience and the idol worship, God still called his people. God is so faithful that how far we are in America as the church, the Lord is still calling us. He's still begging us, saying, American church, would you love me again? American church, would you choose me over the lights and the camera and the smoke and the veneer once again? He's still chasing after his bride, saying, Hosea, I want you to go marry Gomer the prostitute. I know that she sold herself. I know that she's married and pimped herself out and prostituted herself out, but I want you to buy her back. The Lord is chasing us. I'm glad that when all my life I rejected the Lord, he still had a plan. That when I accidentally hung myself at 12, he was so faithful and pulling my body off the rope. That when I drank too much, the doctor said I should have been dead from alcohol poisoning. I'm grateful that the Lord continued to pursue me. That when I fell out of cars, I almost drowned and had multiple near-death experiences. When that voice told me to jump off the 13th story of that hotel room. Oh, it was the faithfulness of God. And both my parents are in the chat right now. And they'll tell you that they were praying and they were crying out to the Lord, saying, God, have mercy on our children. See, the Lord spared them, spared me not because of me, but the Lord spared my parents' children because of their faithfulness to praying and to crying out to God. And God is so faithful. He said, don't worry, honey. I'm not going to let nothing happen to your son because you've been faithful to me and you've served me all the days of your life. I want to prophesy over somebody's kid that's out there and you don't know if they're going to come home tonight. That the Lord says, I'm guarding them and guiding them because of my faithfulness. I will preserve your children. And you know, because you got an unsaved kid that should have been dead a thousand times. And there is no explanation as to why they are alive. And the only explanation is the faithfulness of God. Can I get anybody in this chat tonight to testify to the faithfulness of God? When I couldn't pay my bills, God somehow made a way because he's faithful. When I thought I'd never get healed or never be well again, God healed me because he's faithful. Couldn't imagine God saving that kid you prayed for, but he did because he's faithful. Couldn't imagine God saving that parent, but he did because he's faithful. Couldn't imagine him restoring your marriage, but he did. Why? Because he is faithful. Many times we quit because we don't see the promise and the faithfulness of God in action. But I want to tell somebody, don't plant, don't fall for the plan of the snake that's causing you to put in question the faithfulness of God because my Bible says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken and the Lord is going to answer the prayer. He said, I'm not just the faithful, but I'm the true witness. In today's society, we know that a witness is someone who has seen or witnessed a crime. He was there during the act and knows the details of the crime. And he says, church, you got to understand you've been committing the crime of lukewarmness. And I'm a witness because I've been seeing what you're doing. I'm in your midst. I watch if you're doing what you should be doing. Now, the reason why so many of us are so carnal and worldly in the church is because we think the only time that God has his eyes on us is on Sunday morning while we're at the altar. But what you need to understand and what you need to realize is that God is always watching and that God is always working and God is always moving. 
that God will have the last word and God will have the last say and that God is witnessing all week long what we're doing. You have to understand that God is watching not just on Sunday morning, but God says, I'm watching Monday through Friday. He's saying, listen, when nobody's home and it's just you and the computer, I'm there watching. I don't turn away. Understand me tonight that God does not turn away when we indulge in wickedness. But the first thing I need you to realize and what he's trying to tell the church is I'm not blind to the lifestyle that you're living and I'm not blind to what you're doing and that God is a 24-7 God and he's going to be there on judgment day as the witness. That's why the Bible says if you deny the Lord before man, I will deny you before my father. Why? Because Jesus is going to be on the witness stand. Jesus is going to be the one that testifies. He's the true witness. This is in the book of Revelation, friend. This is all up in your Bible. Now, it sounds simple, and we say, well, duh, Isaiah, um, we know Jesus is there, but I'm telling you, Romans says that we will, God, one day God will judge the secrets of men. My number one prayer is, Lord, I don't want to be a public success, but a private failure. I don't want to get, guys, I'm not exempt from this. I, I ask the Lord, check my heart, Lord. I don't want to live my life in lukewarmness, and I'm telling you right now, I don't want to be a, a success in the eyes of man. I don't want to be popular in the eyes of man. I don't want people to look and say, oh, that's Isaiah Salvador he's radical but then in my own secret life on the inside there's secrets and there's darkness and there's corruption I want the Lord to cleanse every part of me I want to be as on fire and private as I am in public I want to be as radical in my private life than I am in my public life we have become professional actors in the church you don't need to go to Hollywood to learn how to be a good actor just join a local church there are so many of us that are so good at acting like like we're on fire and acting like we're believers, but we don't realize that our fakeness is making God sick. He says, I know your work. Don't try to live your life acting like I don't know what you're doing. It's easy to try to fool God, but the Lord says, I know your work. In other words, I know when you're faking the funk. I know when you're pretending. I've had multiple occasions. I've shared this in the past where I'm around famous uh, pastors and famous leaders and they all say, okay, well, Isaiah, will you lead us in prayer? Let's all pray and I start praying these elaborate prayers of I prophesy, I decree, all these elaborate prayers I never pray. And I've had the Lord on multiple occasions say, really? Really, Isaiah? I know you and that's not how you pray. See, understand, God knows us even when we try to fake it. Everyone else might know the fake you, but God says, I know the real you. And so you got to get to a place where you say, I don't want to fake it until I make it. The Lord is saying, I know your works. He says, I know your works. And here's what I know. And I'm not going to take a much longer time, but here's what the Lord says. Here's what I know. I know that you're neither cold nor you're hot, but you are lukewarm. Lukewarmness is the easiest thing to fall into as Christians. It's easier to fall into than sin because it's not as evident as sin and it's not as tempting as sin and it's not as black and white as sin and it could happen either fast or it could happen gradually. But the bottom line is it's happened to many of us in the chat and it's happening to many believers. There's a lukewarmness that is coming upon the church even now and the issue isn't whether someone becomes lukewarm the issue is whether they stay lukewarm because tonight there is hope now the word cold it means without enthusiasm and it means that you're neutral in your faith the gospel to you is not real it's just kind of just there it's half-hearted it's heartless it's not really of any significance or if uh, it's any worth the word of God doesn't move you anymore one way that you 
you know if you're lukewarm is if your heart doesn't burn anymore when you read the scriptures one of the ways to check your pulse your spiritual pulse is to read the Bible and see if your heart still burns one of the ways to check your spiritual pulse is to listen to preaching like this tonight and if there's not a passion in you if there's not a desire in you now listen I could listen to dead preaching. I could listen to watered down preaching and say, man, I'm bored. I need to go do something else. But when I listen to passionate, anointed, radical preaching, there is a hunger that stirs up in me. There is a desire saying, I got to get this word tonight. I got to hear what he's saying tonight because I'm my spiritual pulse. I'm alive and it moves me. See, preaching doesn't move you like it way, the way that it used to. Then you might be cold or lukewarm. See, football moves some of you, but God no longer moves you. Movies move you, but God doesn't move you come on how are you gonna cry at the end of your favorite movie when your favorite person dies how are you gonna cry when the dog dies how are you gonna cry when they get breaking they break up in your favorite sitcom but then you could be in the place of prayer praying over abortion praying over brokenness and not even shed a tear in the place of prayer not have any brokenness yet movies are able to move you and God is not able to move you how is it that social media is able to excite you but God doesn't excite you how is it that we wake up in the morning so excited to check in in our Instagram but not excited to check in with God. I have oftentimes said, Lord, what would it happen if I checked your word as much as I check my Instagram? What would happen if I took my brain off of autopilot and said, I don't want to live my life as an autopilot Christian, but I want you to take the will and steer my life in the direction that you want it to go. There is no excitement in the church of Laodicea. Hear me loud and clear tonight because God is not moving in the church of Laodicea. See, understand excitement only comes when God has done something, when God heals somebody, when God delivers somebody, when God moves upon somebody, when God speaks through somebody, football games, everyone's excited and shouting because something is happening yet God was not moving in this church because God refuses to move in or around lukewarm believers the issue was not just a lack of enthusiasm that's not the root of the problem the the issue was that they were worthless he said cold water has value cold water could quench the thirst of people hot water has value hot water could do something he says but lukewarm water hear me clear tonight has no purpose. Lukewarm water has no value. Nobody has ever said, go get me a lukewarm coffee. You don't go to Starbucks and say, I want a lukewarm latte or lukewarm macchiato. It's either hot or it's either cold. And the Lord is saying, you have no value. You got to understand it was not that only that it was a play on words because the city understood because the water supply the city was getting was useless because it had become lukewarm. And the major issue of lukewarm Christians is that they don't have any impact for the kingdom of God. Lukewarm people don't change anybody. They don't provoke anybody. They don't heal the sick. They don't raise the dead. They don't disciple people. They don't baptize people. It's worthless and it's useless. And Jesus himself is saying, I wish, now many of you have never heard this, but this is the word of the Lord tonight. I wish you were one or the other. 
The word this, wish, means an unattainable wish. Jesus is saying, I can't do this, but this is my desire that you would either tonight choose to go all in for the world or you would go all in for the church. You would go 100% for the kingdom or you would go 100% for the darkness. And we always say things in the church like, well, we just need a balance, brother. We don't want to be that extreme. We don't want to offend anybody. All this talk of, you know, balanced Christianity, it's apathy and it's mediocrity. Jesus says you either be extreme for me or don't call yourself my follower. I want people that are on fire for me and they are radical for me and I don't want anyone in my church that is in neutral. He says, look, if you're in neutral and you're reserved, people are going to think that's how I am. Understand the issue of why we're so begging you and calling you to come out of your gossip and your anxiety and your depression is because you don't realize when you gossip, people see you and they know you're a Christian and they think God is like you because you are a representative for God. When you don't pray for the sick, people think Jesus is like you and he doesn't heal the sick. When you're not out driving out demons, people think Jesus is like you and doesn't have the power to drive out demons. The reason why the world doesn't believe in deliverance is because the church doesn't believe in deliverance. The reason why the world doesn't believe in the power of prayer is because the church does not believe in the power of prayer. I'm all for holding up signs saying, let's bring prayer back to schools, but I'm not as concerned about the prayers in the schools. I'm concerned about the prayer happening in the church. I'm not worried about prayer meetings around the flagpole. I'm worried about the prayer meetings that aren't happening in my pastor's office. I'm wondering if there would be a church that rises up and that says we are representatives for the presence of God. And Jesus says, I'd rather you be called. Why would Jesus, Isaiah, are you telling me tonight? Are you, are you telling me that Jesus would rather me be lukewarm? I mean, would rather me be cold and out in the world than to be halfway in and halfway out? I'm not telling you that Jesus would rather you be all in for the world than be half in for him. Jesus is telling you, I would rather you be. Why would Jesus want me to be, would rather me be in the world than halfway in the kingdom? He says, because you're a bad representative for my glory, for my power, and for my anointing. Jesus says this, because you're not hot or because you're not cold, you literally make me sick and I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. He starts out by saying, here is the implications and here is the result of your lukewarm and apathetic Christianity, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, the Greek word vomit has a few root root words, but I only want to talk about one root word for the Greek word vomit, and it's the word emetic, and it's actually a medical term. If you look it up, it is a glob or a, a thing of what looks like goo that doctors use so that if somebody swallows poison, they give you this thing, and it instantly makes your body throw up. It's the same root word, and so what Jesus was saying is, you are literally poisoned to me, and I have to vomit you out and get this lukewarm church out of my system because you are poisoning the true gospel. That's why Jesus said, if there's any bad branches, I will cut them off because they're making the true vine look bad. Lukewarm believers are poison. And I know everyone's afraid to say it, but it's my stream. I could say it. Lukewarm believers are poison to the body of Christ. In order to even vomit something out, you have to first be in in the mouth of somebody. And God says that you are my mouthpiece. You are my representative on the earth and I speak out of you, but you're not just poisoning the body of Christ or yourself, but you're poisoning 
everybody else around you because lukewarm Christianity is contagious. Lukewarm Christianity will rub off on everybody else around you. And I don't know if you're feeling convicted tonight, but in my own mind, I'm saying, Lord, I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian. I want to be bold on the day of judgment. I want to really know you. I want to really serve you. I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian and I don't want to be a lukewarm pastor. Lord, I'm asking you tonight, change me. I'm asking you tonight deliver me. He says this, and I'm almost done. He says, because you say you're rich and you've become wealthy and you're in need of nothing. Understand the church had claimed materialism and wealth over the presence of God. And it literally means they were lukewarm, not thinking they lacked anything. And they were fine with business as usual. And the temporary things of this world replaced the fire of God. Let me ask you this. What in your life has replaced the fire of God? What in your life has replaced the place where prayer should be, has replaced the place where worship should be? What have you put in, in your life that you've claimed is, uh, is more important than the presence of God? You need to understand that there is nothing in this world that is more important than the presence of God. See, what happened was they saw all the stuff in the world. Let me break this down for you. They saw all the stuff that was in the world and they say, we needed more of this and more of that and more of this but then they saw the kingdom of God and they said we don't really need more of that like right now let me explain this if I ask you right now, who needs more money? Every single person is going to say they need more money. If I ask you, who needs more breakthrough? Every person is going to say we need more breakthrough. If I ask you, who needs a new car? Everybody's going to say they need a new car. If I ask you, who needs another promotion? Everybody's going to say yes. So they saw the stuff the world had to offer and they say, we need this, we need this, we need that. He says, but then you saw my kingdom and you, you just said, oh, I don't really need more of God. I'm okay where I'm at. See, the lukewarm believers were never striving for more of God. They were never pushing to that next place. They said, we're not in need of anything. Lord, we don't need anything from you. But the Bible makes it clear that we are to come to God as poor, as beggars in spirit. How many know a beggar says, I desperately need what you have. And I want to be a spiritual beggar saying, Lord, I desperately need what you have. I can't be the husband you've called me to be if you don't give me what you have. I can't be the father that you've called me to be if you don't give me what you have. It's time to stop coming to God and saying, we're fine where we're at and saying, Lord, I need more of you. I need more of your power. Come on, share the stream tonight. I need more of your presence. He says, you don't even realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now that does not sound like a Christian to me. Let me explain something very clear. There is no such thing in the Bible. I got to say this clear because you've never heard this before. There is no such thing in the Bible as a lukewarm Christian. There is people that say, oh yeah, there's lukewarm Christians at my church. The word lukewarm and the word Christian do not, are not found in the same sentence in the Bible because if you are lukewarm you are not a believer understand when Jesus says you don't know that you're wretched miserable poor blind and naked he was saying you don't even understand the state that you're in and my perception of you is way different than your perception of you you say you don't need me you say you have it all together 
You say you have wealth and you have materialism and all this worldly stuff that you don't need. He says, and that's your perspective. When you look at your Christian life, you say, Isaiah, I'm good. I have the wealth. I have this. I have that. I don't need anything from God. I'm fine where I'm at. He says, but the problem is you've convinced yourself into a lie because from heaven's perspective, you are spiritually miserable. You are spiritually bankrupt. You are spiritually blind and you don't even see the need you have for me. You're spiritually naked and vulnerable and you don't even have the armor on or you've never put on Christ because you don't realize that every day you need more of me and you're in denial of your true state. See, the scary part about lukewarmness is that lukewarm people are in denial. This church was in denial. We always get in denial. Well, we're not really, you know, we're on fire with this and God's like, you're in denial. There is no passion or desire in you to even know me and the worst part is they're ignorant to the state that we're in and God is saying, I need you to change something. I need you to shift something. So here's his counsel as I get ready to close here. We're about an hour and 20 minutes here. Here's his counsel. He says, here's how you're going to solve it. I counsel you to buy from me gold that is refined by fire. He says, listen, I have something you need and you can't get this from anybody else but me. You can't get this gold from the preacher. You can't get this from a program, from a new book or from a podcast. He says, I have gold and I want you to buy it from me personally. Now, why does he say gold? Because he wants you to realize it's costly. Gold is very expensive, especially back in those days. Gold was way more expensive than it is now. And the Lord is saying that there is a cost to the gold. There is a price to being on fire. Oftentimes people will look and say, I want your anointing. I want what you have. Well, you don't realize the gold that God has given me, I've actually had to pay for and gone through trials and gone through the fire because understand something, being on fire will keep you up at night. Being on fire will ruin relationships. Being on fire will ruin family ties. Some of you don't even talk to your aunts, uncles, or cousins because you're on fire for God and they think you're a joke and want nothing to do with you. And the Lord is saying, that's the cost of being my disciple. It will challenge you every single day. If you're not being challenged on a daily basis, if you're not being challenged when your pastor preaches, then you're dying. You're not growing. It is a lifestyle of constantly being uncomfortable and constantly stepping out. Isaiah, what would you say to somebody that has hardly any friends? What would you say to somebody that feels lonely, that feels like nobody understands them? Isaiah, I just got saved and I just feel like nobody gets it. I feel like my family's not accepting me. I feel like my friends aren't accepting me. What would you say to me? What assurance would you give me? Here's what I would say to you. Welcome to the Christian life. If you say, Isaiah, I've been feeling lonely. I've been feeling abandoned like I don't have any friends and like nobody understands me. Welcome to the Christian life. The road to discipleship is a lonely road. A lot of you see me go, oh, you have thousands of followers. You must have friends and hanging out with people. Have a hundred people all around you. Have an entourage. No, I have about five good friends and the, and my family are my friends. Literally all my best friends and friends are all my family members because you have to understand the road to discipleship is not a popular road. A lot of pastors like, oh, I like this type of preaching, but they don't like this type of lifestyle. And so they'll invite you to come preach, but they don't really want to hang out. Your presence makes them uncomfortable. If your presence convicts people, you should be excited about that. The road to discipleship is lonely. And some of you are trying to be popular and biblical at the same time. And the Lord says, I'm going to strip you of popularity so that I could anoint you with my power so that you could pay the price for oil. I'm telling you right now, some of you might say, well, I just want to be a lukewarm Christian. That's fine to be lukewarm, but don't call yourself a Christian because being rich, poor, 
wretched miserable and blind does not sound like a christian to me christians are not blind christians are not miserable christians are not poor and christians are not wretched only lukewarm people are and those type of people are filling our churches and we desperately need to get this message out because there are people that need the gold and the fire that god wants to give you jesus says i discipline those i love now jesus spanks up this church this is the only church out of the seven churches where jesus has nothing good to say all the other churches he has about one or two things that are good to say one church he has all good things to say i'm this specific church of laodicea jesus says i have nothing good to say about you he says but i want you to understand this before i end the message and before the letter is over because i know you're going to cry and you're going to write back to john and say john why is god so mean and why why does god hate me and why is god angry if you jump out of the broadcast right now you could walk away from this broadcast and say why is god so mad at me and why is god so angry but here's what you have to understand you don't you didn't read the rest of the verse because jesus says i discipline those who i love so with zeal repent after the harshest letter and rebuke in all of the bible jesus says i want you to know why i'm so harsh i want you to know why i'm so hard on you and it's because i love you and i see what's coming if you do not change so i want you to repent with zeal i want you to repent with passion. I want you with passion to ask God to change the way you think. The word repentance, it means metanoia and it means to change your mind or to change the way you think. And tonight the Lord is saying that I want you to ask him to change the way that you think, to pay the price for the gold because the Lord says that I stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens up the door, I will come and dine with him and he can dine with me. Now the Lord is saying not that he wants to come into the door of your heart and not that he wants to, you know, come into the the window of your heart or any of that. What the Lord is actually saying saying is that I'm trying to get back inside my church. I'm trying to get back inside the building. And because you've been so distracted by playing religion and by playing church, I've been outside the church this entire time. If an evangelist gets up and says, Jesus is knocking at your heart and gives you revelation three, Jesus is not knocking at your heart. That is not what the verse means. The verse is seven letters and seven prophetic churches. And Jesus says, I'm outside the door of your church and I'm knocking, trying to get back in. And everyone's so busy and distracted by American religion and Christianity that nobody realized I'm not even inside the church any longer. So I'm outside and I'm knocking on the door of the church. Notice he doesn't say if the pastor opens up the door because the church is not about the pastor. It's about the people because we are the church and the church is lukewarm, not because the pastor is lukewarm, but because the people are lukewarm. See the churches of America. Some of you say, when will the churches of America change? The churches of America will change when the Christians of America change. We have to stop making all these excuses and blaming leadership and saying, Lord, it starts in my family and it starts in my home. Before I ask my pastor to pray, I'm going to start having a prayer life. Before I ask my pastor to evangelize people, I'm going to start evangelizing people. It starts in the place of prayer. That is why right now there is so much delusion in the body of Christ because we're following every wind of doctrine. Every person that gets up, we're following all these winds of doctrine. And the Lord is saying, but if you get in your own prayer closet and stop relying on a pastor, I'm I'm just going to be honest. I'm not sitting around 
reading all the prophetic words, relying on a pastor. Some of you, I know you're prophecy chasers, and I know all you want is another prophetic word for America. This, uh, I'm not chasing all the prophetic words. I'm seeking the Lord, and I'm saying, Lord, let the change start in me. The, the protests for racism and the social economic issues and the demonic issues of racism that are going on. Racism is 100% demonic. It's a spirit that must be broken down in the secret place, must be worn in the spirit. I'm saying, Lord, let it start in me. Before I try to protest and tell everybody else how to live, Lord, let the change start in me. The change has to start in us before it starts out there. We have to break racism and segregation and all these other things that are happening in the church because we're out there trying to change all the things in the world and the church is lukewarm and the church is struggling. We're trying to change the divorce rates in the world and our our marriages are struggling in the church. We as the church need to realize that the change starts in the house of God and I'm saying tonight, Lord, let it start into me. Let the change start in me. I don't want you to be outside the church. I right now want to hear what you're saying. He ends it by saying he that has ears who those that have ears let them hear what the spirit is saying to the church the lord is speaking to you tonight saying it is time to break out of lukewarmness it is time to open up your eyes i believe tonight is your night thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the revival lifestyle podcast if you like what you heard go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content and please follow me on facebook youtube and instagram at isaiah saldivar see you next week Thank you.